Amen. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you're using the Bibles provided there, I think it's on page 1041 if you get a copy of uh, one of those Bibles. We're going to begin in verse number 10 here in a few moments, and this will be a very familiar passage for many of us who've been around the church and read our Bibles. Very important and familiar passage, Ephesians 6. But another important and familiar passage, or not quite as familiar, is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And in that passage, David is forming his army, and there's a list of his mighty men there. And it goes through and talks about uh, those men who uh, could, were armed with bows and those who could hurl stones and those who could handle spear and shield. And it calls them valiant men and they were famous for their exploits. And it talks about some of the things they did in battle. But then it comes to verse number 32, chapter 12, 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And it says this, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Now, these men are listed in David's army, and what was noted about them was they had understanding of the times. See, not all wars are physical. Not all wars are hand-to-hand. Not all wars are about bombs and bullets. Some wars are mental, moral, and spiritual. And there's always a mental, moral, spiritual component to any war. And I would submit to you today that America is in a demonic war for our very existence as a nation. And it's going to take people who understand the times and what we ought to do if we will win this war. And we've been in a series I've entitled Understanding the Times. We've talked about racism the last two weeks and the reality of it and how it's affected people today and how our past and, and where we are. But today I want to take a moment to look at the devil's war against us and his main tactic in any war and how we must be wise and be protected from this specific demonic attack personally. We're going to look at this passage concerning the full armor of God. We're going to really focus on the words Paul uses to describe his weapons and at the end we're going to come back and pull some application for us out of this text. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse number 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So listen, the people on the the ground are not our enemies. Our enemy is ultimately satanic and spiritual therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. 
this demonic war. In this text, I want to show you a couple of words that the Apostle Paul uses for the, the wiles of the devil. There in verse number 11, my Bible translates it, wiles, uh, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Some translate it schemes. Some translate it plotting. It is an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word methodoia. We get our word method. The devil's not haphazard in what he does. He's very strategic in what he does. He has wiles. He has methods. He has plots. Over in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, by the way, down here in verse 16, Paul talks about the fiery darts of the wicked one, meaning these are fiery arrows he aims at us. And in 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Bible says this, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The same idea. The devil has devices that he uses against us, against individuals, against uh, nations. He attacks us in many, many, many ways. But I believe we can learn from Scripture that the devil's main device is deception. His main device is deception. The devil will lie to you. He whispers lies in your ear individually. He whispers lies through people. He whispers lies. He speaks lies. He yells lies through all sorts of means. He is a deceiver. Matter of fact, when we first meet the devil, what is he doing? He's deceiving Eve. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul later on, talking about this in the same book. In verse 3, he said this, 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul feared that the devil was going by his craftiness, and that's where he's called. He's the crafty one, that he corrupts people's minds from a simple trust in Jesus. And listen, from what we should be able to clearly see, our minds sometimes are so corrupted we can't see what's right before us. The devil does this. He corrupts minds. He's deceived so many people both in the church and out of the church. The devil uses deception. So here's, here's, the, um, here's the thesis of this message in the next two weeks message and this is statement. The devil uses deception to create division and bring destruction. Just understand that the devil uses deception. This is what he does in America. He's using deception to create division. We're becoming more and more divided as we go along each day, group against group, this person against that person. Uses division, deception to create division so he can bring about destruction. Now, he will do this in a marriage. He begins to undermine trust. He, he, begin, he does this in a family. He uses deception so he can create division. He'll do it in a church. Many churches have been destroyed by deception of the devil, which created division. He'll do this in a city, in a state, and he'll do it in a nation. In fact, this is what the devil does with individuals. When he shows up to Eve, remember, he says, did God really say? And what was the ultimate end of that deception? Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and they were no longer in the presence of God. So he brought division. And that division from God ultimately brings destruction. And so this is the devil's tool all through life. And right now what we're seeing before us is this massive effort of deception to bring destruction. So this morning I want to talk about what we're seeing right here and now in America. And what we need to pray that God will help us to recognize and also to be a message of hope in the midst of this deceptive darkness. So the first thing we want to talk about is the deceptive message. 
The message the devil is spreading across America and has been for many, many years in colleges and universities, now in businesses and schools and the media, is this. America is a racist, oppressive, evil country. Always has been and always will be. This is the message of the devil. Well, I have no doubt there are racist, oppressive, evil people in America because there's racist, oppressive, evil people everywhere. But is America a racist and oppressive, evil country? This is the reason history has to be rewritten and has been, has been rewritten and is being rewritten even as we speak because people want to highlight and center completely around America's faults and America's failures. And we went through many of those last week. I didn't go through all of them, but I want to be honest with you. America has failed in many ways, and we are failing. We have, we have every, but listen, everybody has a past. The problem for some people is their past has never been changed, and so they're carried into their present. We acknowledge America has many failures, just like all people. But America has also been striving to overcome its failures and overcome its sins in these areas. Like no other nation, by the way. But to the devil and to people who are spreading this message, it's not good enough. It's never enough and it's not even recognized. The question is, while America is not perfect, who is? What nation is perfect? What group is perfect? What, what, what person doesn't have some problems and some sins? The reality is America, with all its faults and flaws, has done more for the good of liberty and freedom around the world and the good of mankind than any other nation in the history of the world. And that because of our founding and our, our founding principles and our prosperity. And with that said, listen, in the last 200 plus years, no church in any nation has done more to spread the gospel to the world than the American church. And this is why the devil's attack is here. Destroy America, destroy the American church. And by the way, there was one time that church was in Europe. And that church in Europe is dead now. There was one time when you read Revelation 2 and 3, all those churches, that was in Asia Minor. Those churches don't exist anymore. That's his goal for us. So we just need to recognize it. We need to, honor, we need to, we need to own our faults, but we also don't need to be brought into this message that America is worthless and evil. Secondly, we want to spend our rest of our time here on this, the dividing methods. The devil has a deceptive message, but he wants to get that message out so he can divide. And what are the tools that he uses? What, what is his main tools? And I'm going to talk about some deep stuff. It's probably deeper than I should be plowing, but this is, this is relevant stuff. I've been watching this for years. And didn't understand all the pieces. And I'm not saying I understand all the pieces. But I've been studying greatly about what's going on. And these pieces are starting to make sense to me. The devil's plan is clear. But we only get little bits and pieces here. And we wonder, why, why do people think this way? How could someone believe this? Why does someone say this? There's a reason. So I want to give you three things that have been used to divide us. Number one, cultural Marxism. That may be a term you've heard or maybe you haven't heard. But it is alive and well in America. It has been in the education systems, particularly the colleges and universities for years. Indoctrination that's been spread now into the streets, into the boardrooms, into the courtrooms, and even into our politics. Many people have been taught this. 
Now, what is this? Well, you may be familiar with, you probably are from history, Karl Marx. He was a German philosopher and economist. He, he along with Frederick Engels, wrote the Communist Manifesto. Now, they didn't invent communism, but they wrote it down, they put a plan together, and they made it popular. And in Marx's theory, which became known as Marxism, his theories of society, economics, and politics, Marx held, Marx held that societies developed through class conflict. Now, Marx was an atheist, and he said some of his goals was to dethrone God and to destroy capitalism. To dethrone God and to destroy capitalism. And in capitalism, Marx hated capitalism. And he said that capitalism was uh, a, a warfare of oppression. It was, a, it was a, a system of oppression. The rich people, the capitalists, those who owned the, the, the capital and the means of production, and those, they were the oppressors. And the people who worked for them, the labor force, were the oppressed people. And they sold their lives to these rich capitalists so they could live. And Marx predicted that Capitalism would fall in and of itself because of the oppression and how corrupt it is. But Marx's vision was to replace capitalism with socialism. See, Marx was a communist governmentally, but he was a socialist economically because those two are always married. And when you get one, you eventually get the other. So what is a democratic socialist? We hear that in America. It's somebody you vote to destroy your life. Not somebody who destroys it because they took the power. That's what that means. Somebody who will destroy our country and you elected them to do it. Every country where Marxism is gone, by the way, has resulted in the deaths and the destruction of lives. People, listen, in the last century, I told you last week about two weeks ago about how much death happened in America. I mean, it happened in the world because of... We believe in evolution. Well, Marxist leaders, openly Marxist leaders in the past century killed 100 million people at least. At least 100 million people. And they enslaved a billion more. Do you know people are being taken slave today in China? This week there was a video released. Somebody got it out of China. I don't know how they got it out because it would cost them their life of the Chinese arresting, and uh, not arresting, but herding Muslims into slave camps. Today, this, this week, this came out. It goes on today because why? Well, China is a communist, Marxist country. But when Marxism began to fail because people got tired of the killing and the, and the death and the, and the suffering, they figured out what Marxism was. They rose up, there were wars, there was rebellion. Marx's followers realized the reason it didn't work was because the people at the ground level didn't buy into it. It was forced upon them. And so they came up with cultural Marxism. It was a theory applying Marx's... Uh, I'll get there. It's a theory applying Marx's principles of economics to our society. So cultural Marxism... Here it is. It holds that there is a conflict between the cultural ruling class, the oppressors, and the oppressed people groups. The cultural ruling class. Not, we're not talking about just workers. We're not talking about rich people only. We're talking about in every society there's a ruling class of people. And those ruling class oppress all other people. The idea is that a society can be divided into dominant groups. It can be rich people. It can be the majority of people, whoever they are in any society, 
And then there are subordinate oppressed groups. These are usually divided along the lines of race and class and gender and so forth. And these cultural ruling class, they hold the power. They hold the power to force their ideology on everyone else. They, 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 they pr press people down by their beliefs because they have the power. So the question then is when we come to America, who is the cultural ruling class in America? Well, not who you think. Here it is. In general, it is white people. In general, it is white people. Because Marxism is wanting to spread racism. In specific, to be honest with you, it's white men. S successful white men are the ultimate oppressor of all people in Marxism. Now listen, I'm a 50 plus year old white man from Alabama. So I know what it means to be stereotyped <laughs> as a racist. <laughs> I understand. I've been there, done that. When I was in the Air Force, I was stereotyped that way. I've been that way. That's what happens. That's what people think. But in this system of Marxism, listen, America is a racist, oppressive, evil country. Always has been, always will be. Why? Because of white people. This is the message. This is the message that's been sent out through our colleges and universities. And let me say this. Most people on the street don't necessarily believe this completely. They may have had some run-ins with some, a certain group of people, and they think, well, you know, maybe these people are, are racist, but most white people don't think, most black people don't think this, most Asian people don't think all white people are oppressing them. But listen, a growing number of people do. A growing number of American young people believe they've been indoctrinated in this worldview that white people are oppressing all the peoples in America. This is why it's become sort of a bad thing to be white. This is why you hear propaganda about white privilege or white guilt or white fragility or just whiteness. Now, I've committed a lot of sins in my life. Things I'm not proud of, things I'm ashamed of. But being white just happens not to be one of them. But in America, it's become a sin. In fact, because of that, it's okay to be racist if it's directed at white people. This week, the Smithsonian Institute, I don't know if you saw this, they put out this, this definition of whiteness. And it talked about the characteristics of whiteness. And it's almost like white people have this and no other people have it. And, 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 and people all over began to, to speak about how racist this was. And it, if you go look it up on the internet, you can find it. It's still out there. I looked this morning. They hadn't taken it down. And it's just a stereotype of white people. Now, if they'd have done that against any other group of people, just think of the outrage it would have been. This very week. Actor Nick Cannon was fired from one of his jobs. I think he still kept his other one, but Viacom fired him because of what they deemed anti-Semitic comments. And in a podcast, Cannon said this. He's an actor. He, he's on a, a couple TV shows or something. I, I don't really know. But uh, he says this. He talks about people who lack sufficient melanin. Melanin is, the, is what makes your skin dark or light. The less you have, like me, I'm low on the melanin scale. You have more melanin, your skins are darker. So he's talking about white people, dark, lighter skinned people. And he said, 
Those without dark skin have a deficiency that historically forced them to act out of fear and commit acts of violence to survive. They had to be savages, he said. And he added he was referring to Jewish people, white people, and Europeans. And he said white people are subhuman, evil, savage barbarians from Nordic mountains who rape, steal, and kill because of their lack of pigment of their skin. He follows Louis Farrakhan, who is a race baiter himself, but listen, think, when, when they fired him, Viacom said this. We're firing him because he made anti-Semitic comments. They didn't mention anything about white people. They didn't mention anything about European people because he made anti-Semitic comments. Maybe if he hadn't said anything about Jewish people, what they're saying is we wouldn't have said anything. So white people are the oppressed group from these people that are, that are teaching this. So then, the question is, who are the oppressed people groups in America? Who are they? Well, basically almost anyone else. But they are most often referred to as minority groups and now particularly victims groups. Unfortunately for minority groups, in a sense, they've been replaced with victims groups. Minority groups, according to cultural Marxism, are, like I mentioned earlier, races. Females are considered victims groups. Did you know that females are considered a minority group? A minority group. Now listen, men, there's more of them than there is us. The school I went to, that wasn't a minority. But according to this thinking, females have been oppressed, so they're a minority victim group. So you have races, you have females, genders, whatever gender you are or whatever gender you want to be, sexual preferences, class, disabilities, nationalities, religions. Even now, not just immigrants, but illegal immigrants are considered now victims groups of the white heterosexual man. Now, the worst of the white man is the white heterosexual cisgendered. What that means is, and I'm not joking about this, a cisgendered person is someone who knows he's a male He's okay being a male. He doesn't want to change. That's me. That's me. I'm a white, heterosexual, cisgendered, semi-able-bodied. This says able-bodied, but some days I'm only semi-able-bodied. Native-born man. And these people, like me, have held all these other people back in this, this thing. They've held them back. They've held women back. They've held, white men have held all these people back for years. And, but listen, you don't think this is law. Listen, when the, when the government wrote affirmative action, they put women as a minority group in the law to people who were not a minority group. So if you're not a cultural Marxist, then you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic person. This is what we face in America. This is... The message that's deceiving and dividing. Why was Bernie Sanders popular? Have you ever scratched your head and wondered why was Bernie Sanders popular? Bernie Sanders is a Marxist. Bernie Sanders' economics policies are horrible. Why was Bernie Sanders popular? Because Bernie Sanders was a victim's rights advocate. He stood up and represented all the victim groups. Now, Donald Trump has a lot of problems. If we're, we're going to talk about politics in a minute. 
And one of the problems they say is he's a racist. I don't know if he is or not, but what do I know? I'm just a white man. I don't know much anyhow. Donald Trump certainly isn't tactful. He certainly isn't graceful. He certainly isn't kind to his enemies. He certainly isn't sensitive. Although you could say maybe some people are a little too sensitive. But here's the deal. Donald Trump's biggest problem is that he's not a cultural Marxist. He doesn't believe this way. He doesn't understand the world this way. He wasn't raised in that generation necessarily that understood the world this way. And this is how people are understanding the world. We need, to, we need to see this. This is how people are understanding the world. And one of the ways this deception is used to divide us is what is known as intersectionality. It's when these various victims groups come together and their, their identities overlap. And so let me... And let me just give you an example or a definition. Intersectionality is the overlap of various social identities such as race, gender, sexuality, and class that contributes to the specific type of systemic oppression and discrimination experienced by an individual. So their victims groups overlap and these people have all sorts of, all sorts of victimhood. You wonder why people are angry? Some of them have been told all their life, all their life in every way, they're nothing but a victim, which is terrible because, it, 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 listen, and we'll get to this in a moment, I don't get ahead, but it handicaps people. If you go out your door every day thinking you'll never make it, there's something going to hold you back always. Well, guess what? You'll never make it. And, and what I'm about to tell you, I'm not joking when I say this, okay? I'm not trying to be funny. Matter of fact, I'm doing my best to try not to be funny. I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, and sometimes it comes out. So I'm going to have to really, really work not to, to, to make you see how this works. And this is where it's at. So let me tell you how this works with victims groups. A woman, a white woman is a, an oppressed minority. I told you that. But a black woman is a bigger oppressed minority. They're oppressed worse. Then a lesbian woman is oppressed. Now, if the woman is a black lesbian, she's more oppressed. If she's a black lesbian transgender woman, she's more oppressed. And on and on and on it goes. See, and what happens is, because that woman has suffered in their mind, her opinion and her grievance is great against America. Because America's held her back. America's oppressed her. Now, if you think I'm joking, you think that's crazy. Listen, I can send you the link of college textbooks that not only write this, but have charts that show people who the oppressor is. And by the way, Christians are listed as an oppressor group in these colleges. Christians are listed. Churches are, are listed as an oppressor group. You may have wondered, some of you are older like me and you were adult in the 90s we started hearing about a political correctness where did political correctness come from it came from cultural Marxism things weren't politically correct then you couldn't say this you couldn't say that or you shouldn't say it this way so that was political correctness now we've moved 
to where everybody's offended by everything. You ever wonder why? What's next? Who's going to be offended? Why is that? Because victims groups are offended because they're being hurt. And this is now we have cancel culture. Let's just cancel if we don't like it. Let's just take away what, what you did. Let's just take away the past. Let's just remove this. We don't like it. And, it's, and, and, and so we, we don't offend anybody. Remove all, the cancel, remove all the speech. Cancel the culture. But folks, listen to me. That's heading us down a path where our First Amendment right of free speech will be taken away. You may say something, I don't like it. You're an American, you have a right to say it. I could disagree with it. I'm not going to squash your right to say it. This is also why, folks, listen, hate speech is a Marxist viewpoint. Because you may hate me and speak it, but you still have the right to speak it. Because then... You start deeming. Go to countries like Canada. Saying homosexuality is a sin. Now hate speech. Let's squash it down. Let's shut it out. That's what, that's what this is about. Let's, I'll get to that in a minute. Now I hope you see how evil and how corrupt this mentality is. And it's sad that people believe this. Many of our young people in colleges and universities have believed this. And it's sad, not only because it's going to destroy America, more importantly, it's going to condemn these people's souls to hell. Not because they believe different than me, but listen, people who go around with the perpetual victimhood are always ready for somebody else to blame. Instead of owning up to their own personal sins, and we all can do this. We can say, well, you know, my parents did this. I, I had a good life, and my husband did this, and now I'm doing this because. And that's, that's human beings' nature. We like to rationalize and justify our own behavior. This plays right into it. The devil just loves this. The devil just loves to let somebody else be a reason why you do what you do. Somebody else gives you a reason why you fail when you fail. You make terrible, sinful choices. See, their own sins are their biggest problem. But this mentality tells them, actually, you're a victim and someone else is your problem. You're a murderer because somebody oppressed you and you're angry and we should find a way to excuse you from it. You're a thief because someone else has more than you and you never had a chance, so steal from them. You're angry, so go destroy this person's life because they don't know who they are. They may not deserve it anyhow. You're a homosexual and those Christians oppressed you by telling you gay marriage is wrong and trying to keep you from marrying. They're an oppressor group. This flies in the face completely of the Bible. Completely of the Bible. Nothing in the Bible, nothing in the Bible even comes close to this. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke very clearly about this type of mentality many times. But listen, I'm going to read to you very quickly. Mark 7, uh, verse 20, listen to this. And Jesus said, what comes out of a man that defiles him? For from within, out of the evil, excuse me, out of the hearts of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lawlessness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Not from without. Does your environment affect you? Sure it does. But you won't be judged for your environment. You'll be judged for your life. Numbers 32, 23. But if you do not do so, Moses said, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Folks, listen to me. Jesus didn't come to fix systemic problems, institutional problems. Jesus came to fix people. 
He came to change lives and save souls and forgive individual people their sins. We can have the greatest revival in the history of the world. We could start today, and in the middle of it, men would be sinning. Jesus walked on the earth, and people denied him. People sinned all around him. He lived among the Israelites, and they rejected him. If you think we're ever going to get, which is what communism and Marxism promises, some kind of utopia, outside of Jesus coming and setting up his rule and reign in this world, we're never going to get to a place where there's not sin and wrong. Christ came to die for our individual sins. We must be saved individually. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Not except this group repents or this system is fixed or we, we correct this over here. No, your individual heart must be changed. Now, because white people and white men in general are the oppressors, they're privileged and they live in fragility, they're guilty people, they, and they need to be removed many times. White people need to be removed from power and privilege. You don't think I'm joking. Listen, the mantra of these Marxists is white people must bow down and must ask forgiveness. The only way a white person can be absolved from their sin of whiteness and privilege and racism is to bow down and comply. So we've seen all these videos of people out there I saw one of some woman in New York. This guy came up to her several months ago. This guy came up to her. He said, he's with Black Lives Matter. And he said, and he told her she was a racist. And I, I think the woman was scared to death. She's out there. She's a single woman. This guy's got her on the phone. And she bowed down and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Then I saw another video where, like, this church just bowed down and, and asked all these people to forgive them. Well, listen, I believe that. If you're a racist, you need, I've told you this over and over the last couple weeks. If you've got racism, any kind of evil in your heart, you need to get right. The evil thoughts are in your own heart. Mayors are bowing down and cops are bowing down, acknowledging they're wrong. Well, where you're wrong, you need to acknowledge it. But folks, it's not going to fix the heart of people unless you're the one that's got the heart problem. If you've got racism in your heart, you need to bow down to God Almighty and ask Him to change you. But we're never going to absolve us of our white guilt in the eyes of these people. We didn't own slaves. We didn't support Jim Crow. I know a lot of white people are genuinely not racist. A lot of black people are genuinely not racist. But this is stirring these seeds up in us. White people must bow down. White people must become woke. If you ever heard that, it means that we must become attentive and aware of issues of racial and social justice. Because we don't know anything, because we haven't lived it, we need to be educated and so people are being educated to the point that they leave thinking I'm a racist and they've never really been a racist in their life. I saw a video the other day. I kid you not. This woman was yelling at this police officer. He was a white guy. This was a white girl. It was one of these protests. She was yelling, you're a racist pig. You're a racist pig. He said, I'll be sure to go home and tell my black wife that. And she said, that doesn't matter. You're still a racist. I kid you not. See, this is what people, th these people have taught this. They're taught this. White people then must also become social justice warriors, meaning all Christians, all white people. By the way, most people want a just society. 
You know, even, even unsaved people want to go down the street and have a safe home to drive, a safe street to drive to their home. They don't want to go and they don't want to see their neighbors robbed. They don't want to see their coworkers hurt. They're not, they don't want to see black people hurt or white people hurt or any people hurt. Most people don't want that. that, that they just don't want that. But that's not good enough. We want to live Micah 6, 8. Look what it says. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so many Christians are into social justice, but remember, you need to understand, many times these people, the Marxists, will use our vocabulary but not our dictionary. And what social justice is to the Marxists is not let's have a just society where we all treat each other fairly and no one is discriminated against. Social justice is you must redistribute advantages and resources to the disadvantaged oppressed groups. Your money, your power, whatever it is, your position, they must have it. Now listen, white people are intimidated by this because nobody wants to be a racist. Or I say nobody, many of us don't want to be racist. And many of us don't want to be seen as racist. We don't want people to think we're racist. Not because... I don't want people to think I'm racist, not because I'm from Alabama, but because I'm a Christian. I don't want anyone to think that way of me. And so people are intimidated by this if they're called a racist. And churches are all running down this rabbit trail that we've got to fix it, we've got to fix it. Companies are supporting, giving millions and billions, even billions of dollars to Black Lives Matter. Why? Well, some of these CEOs are Marxists, but some of them are so afraid they'll be labeled as racist. Just give the money and let's buy off the bad publicity. Now, in the end, this isn't going to heal us. In the end, this is not going to bring red and yellow, black and white together in his sight. Cultural Marxism is dividing us. There's a whole lot more you can say about it. I've said enough, and you've endured to the end of that. Second thing, identity politics. What the Marxists have done is create alliances within these groups, and the politicians come along, and they play to these groups. See, all these people groups are fighting for their civil rights because they have a great grievance with America. And if you didn't know this, civil rights, unfortunately, sadly, has become a grievance industry in America. You can make a lot of money fighting for civil rights in America now. I don't think Martin Luther King Jr. would recognize the, what's going on today compared to what he did. Forming these groups and gathering together creates victims groups. It creates those victims groups, us versus them, the oppressors. Identity politics comes in and, and so people who are taught to view themselves not as a whole, we're not a United Nations, we're people groups that live in the, in the United States. We're not the United States, a, a whole nation. We're people groups that happen to live within these boundaries, but we're suppressed by these others. And so the politicians come along and say, listen, we'll, we'll take up your cause. So this is why when people... When pollsters do polls, they ask questions like this. How will white college women vote? How will black transgender people vote? Can this person keep the union vote if he supports reparations? We want to poll this. Why? Because we've been divided all along, these groups. Instead of standing up and say, let's find a way to be a united nation. We, we, we'll... we'll, we'll Talk about your cause and your cause and we'll get us all stirred up and vote for me and I'll, I'll take care of it. And by the way, we've been saying that for, they've been saying that for 60 years and voting for them and keeping us stirred up. Look where we are today. 
because it's identity politics. It's a way, and we've got two sides and, and, and all this. Instead of fighting for America, we fight for our own agenda. The third thing, and I touched on it earlier, is silence opposition. Silence any opposition. Silence any opinion that doesn't go along. Victims, groups, opinions, and life experience matter more than anybody else's thoughts. Anyone who opposes this will be canceled, fired, boycotted, or worse. This week, I don't know if you saw the story, an editor for the New York Times left saying that she's, she's, she claims to be a centrist, but most people believe she's sort of out there on the left uh, politically and morally and socially. But she left because she wasn't leftist enough. She, she actually had kind of decent thoughts about Jewish people, and she didn't believe everything ought to be about race, and, well, that wasn't acceptable. This is why we're having our freedoms of speech taken away from us. And it's very important. I don't believe we ought to speak evil of people. But I'm going to tell you, I believe you ought to have the right to speak. Because they're going to take what I'm doing away if we don't see a change. There's places in the world you can't do what I just did. Things like I just said get taken down. This may get taken down. Who knows? You better grab it while you can if you want it. And for me to say what I just said, actually, what I said recently about the need for fathers in, in white homes and black homes and the greatest need is for fathers. Listen, I don't have any right to say that, one, because I'm a white man, and two, because I'm blaming the victims. And this is the mindset. So what do we do? What are we doing? What are, what are, what are we to do? I'm going to give you five things. We're going to close with this. We're back in Ephesians chapter Six. Number one, protect our thinking. Protect our thinking. Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the helmet of salvation. Protect your thinking. Protect your mind. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Fight your battles with the Word of God. And listen, the devil uses people. He uses people. They're not our enemies, but he uses people. Oh, look, matter of fact, look over. You have your Bibles open real quick. Look over at chapter 4, verse 14. Just flip over one page or whatever your Bible. Turn across the page and look. Chapter 4, verse 14. He's talking about uh, the mission of the, the church and the apostles. But he says this in verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Look at this. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The devil plots and he uses men with craftiness. Cultural Marxism came to America in the 1930s. It's been spread across our nation now for roughly 100 years, close to it, 90 years. Deceitful crap, deceitful plotting of men. The devil has filled people's minds with this indoctrination. We're going to talk about where it comes from, how he uses things. I put some internet resources. They're going to come up at the end of the service, in the message. I thought I put them in your notes and realized I printed them without doing that, but... There's some good websites out there to go just listen to some facts and some truth where you can see. Protect our thinking. Number two, guard our hearts. Verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, putting, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Truth holds all together and the breastplate is to protect the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. You can be misled into false guilt or you can be misled into hatred and anger if you're not careful. 
The devil wants to do that. The devil doesn't care how he gets you. If he gets you through guilt or if he gets you through anger, as long as you're not living what God wants you to live, he doesn't care. If he can corrupt your heart, you can become angry. You, become, you can become hateful to people. We're to pray. We're to love. We're to pray for love and grace and peace. I don't know if you saw this, but recently, Black Lives Matter rioters went into Grace Baptist Church in Troy, New York on a Sunday morning. They stood outside yelling at people as they went in. The first video I saw was a young mother coming in. She's holding a baby, and she's, and she's got her hands. She's got uh, holding the hand of her toddler son, and they walk up, and these people hounded her the whole way into the church and everybody coming in. And then they went into the church, and they yelled vulgar things and harassed them. And the members were patient, told them Jesus loves them, gave them tried to give them gospel tracts. We have to guard our hearts, folks, and not let hatred set in our hearts, not let anger not let bitterness overcome us. A root of bitterness can defile you. That's why this third thing is very important. Realize many are deceived. Many are deceived. I mean young people, older people, white people, whatever other color, whatever other situation, people are deceived. When Paul talks about the wiles here, he, he's telling these people, you have to get prepared because the devil wants to deceive you. In 2 Timothy 2, 26, this is a great verse. Look at this. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Many people have been taken captive by the devil. Those people in your life who, who may be pushing you to the limit, who may be bringing ungodliness into your life, listen, they've been taken by the, the snare of the devil. They've been, they've been taken captive by the devil. The devil wants them to do his will. He fills their minds with lies. He fills their hearts with anger and bitterness. And they need to escape doing the devil's will. We need to pray that God would open eyes. The years of culture indoctrination has taken root in America. Many people are deceived. It doesn't mean because you don't like what they say that we hate them. We recognize where they are. The blinding of the enemy. Remember... Satan blinds the minds of people lest they believe. Number four, stand on and share truth. Stand on and share truth. Look what he says in verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. The first thing is you have to be able to stand. Many people are being swept away. Many people are going to be blown away. They're, going to, they're not going to be able to sort all this out. And they're being led astray. They're, they're, they're being carried away by these winds of doctrine and lies. And they can't stand. But then, not only do you stand, you got to get going. Look what he says in verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you put your shoes on so you can get moving. Paul later on at the end of the chapter, in the, right after this section, verse 19, look what he says. And pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, I, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here he is, he's in prison. He says, I need to speak the gospel. Listen to me. The gospel is the only real solution, folks. You can pass all the laws you want to. We've elected every kind you can elect. Democrat, Republican, left, right, conservative, liberal, all of it. We've got them all up there in Washington now. We've got them in state houses across this land. It's not going to fix it. 
We have laws that, that uh, um, make discrimination illegal and people still have wicked hearts. People must hear of their personal accountability of God to God. Churches are afraid, preachers are afraid to stand and tell the truth. Listen, the wrath of God abides on him who does not believe. The Bible says he is condemned already. The wrath of God abides on him. You and I go out in the world today, we see people, there's a bunch of those people that God's wrath is on their life. The moment they die, hell is their eternity. The worst thing anyone faces, folks, is not oppression from men, but judgment from God. The only answer to save any of us from the wrath to come is Jesus. And that message is the gospel message. Lastly, number five. Pray, pray, pray. This is what he says at the end of the section, verse 18. Praying always. Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Repent of any sin in your life. Any known sin, any sin you don't know. God shows it to you, repent of it. Pray for revival, deliverance. Pray for revival and deliverance in our church, in our lives, in our nation. Pray. And when you get through praying, pray some more. Pray some more. Pray in the morning. Pray in the evening. Pray at noon. Pray. Pray. Every time you watch the news, instead of wanting to throw something through the TV, pray. When you hear this stuff and you say, I can't believe why someone would, would believe this, or I can't understand how someone would treat someone that way, pray. 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 There may be someone here today and you're not saved, and I love you, but your sins will find you out. And you're condemned already who believes not. The devil may have taken you captive, but you can be saved because Jesus is a deliverer. Do you need to be saved today? Has there been a time in your life when you genuinely repented? I'm not saying you believed in Jesus and you, had, you believed some facts about Jesus, but that you came to the place in your life you realized your own personal sin is your greatest problem. It's not what someone did or didn't do to you. It's not if you were born in a rich family or a poor family. It's not if you were born white or black. You were born in a good situation or as bad as it gets. Your still worst problem is the sin that lives within you. No man goes to hell because he's poor or because he's rich, by the way. It's because he has not believed on the only begotten Son of God. If you're not saved today, you call on his name in repentance and ask him to save you. Let's bow for prayer.